welcome to episode 318 of the Unauthorized History of the Pacific War podcast. My name is Seth Perrin, historian and deputy director here at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby. And with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, retired Navy Captain Bill Toady, former skipper of the Fast Tech Submarine USS Indianapolis, Commodore Submarine Squadron 3 in Pearl Harbor, and many other postings. Happy New Year, Bill. How are you? Happy New Year to you as well, Seth. And I'm looking forward to a 2024 that promises to be one of the craziest years in my lifetime. I'm just hoping it's not going to be that. Uh, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? <laughs> no. I, I, well, maybe I shouldn't have said I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm hopeful that it won't be as crazy as, as it potentially could be with the election and all the other things that yeah. are going on at the time. So, um we take it as it comes, I guess, huh? Indeed. Indeed. Indeed we do. Just roll with the punches, as they say. Um, before right. we get started, yeah, really. And it's about all you can do. But uh, mm -hmm. before we get started, uh, we want to ask you to like and subscribe to our channel. Please do so if you have done so. Thank you very much. If you haven't, please do. It does help other people find our stuff. Now, I'm getting ready to throw it over to you, Bill, because this week we're going to do something a little bit different. You know, we've been hitting the combat hard and heavy here the last few weeks with Operation Forager. And of course, Tinian was our last episode that we just recently uh, aired, well, aired last week. And, um, you know, that's the, the finale for Forager. And we're starting to get into other aspects of the Pacific War, notably Peleliu is looming on the horizon, as are the Philippines. But we wanted to take a break, Bill, um, because the yeah. research and the combat and the shooting and the killing and the, you know, it's just, it, it starts to pile. Uh, and, and we wanted to take a break and do something a little bit fun that people have been asking for. So, Bill, tell us what we're going to do here. Yeah, you know, a few weeks ago when I think it was John, John Parshall mentioned that um, the Marianas Turkey shoot ended up like uh, Godzilla stepping on Bambi. Yeah. You know, on one hand, you could say that's a little too um, lighthearted a description for a terrible, terrible war. On the other hand, my reaction is, look, if you don't start looking at the, um, uh, this in a more, I think, balanced way, the whole war effort, you can go crazy. Yeah. And I know that the men who fought this war did, you know, express a little bit of um, lightheartedness with respect to certain aspects to keep their sanity. And so in so doing, what we decided to do today is just respond to a longstanding request that's come many times from viewers and listeners that what are you guys, what are you guys' favorite World War II focused movies? And yeah, this is going to be somewhat lighthearted. Many of these movies deal with very serious subjects, but every one of them sure. comes at you with a little bit of levity. I guess it's not unfair to, to, to describe it that way. And they try to be balanced. Otherwise, nobody would watch. You couldn't watch. And not all of these are, you know, are fully, um, are, have that balance. Some of them are very, very heavy. In fact, the first one I'm going to talk about is one of those. But Seth and I are going to play Siskel and Ebert here. We're, we can't do two thumbs up because that's copyrighted. Which is news to me. I never knew that that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's copyrighted. And so 
Um, we don't want to get sued. So what we're going to do is a Navy equivalent is I'm going to say, if I like it, signal flag up. If you like it, signal flag down. I thought maybe torpedo, if you don't like it, I don't know. But we're going to have fun with this, folks. And 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 what I want to press, uh, preface this by saying, this is not a definitive list. No, no. Every one of you is going to think of a movie that we should have included on this list, that we probably would have included on this list, but for some reason we didn't think of it, or our list got too long, we had to cut something. So, yeah, if you want to call us out on movies we missed, have at it. Call us out. (laughs) In fact, go ahead and comment. We love the comments. And, you know, maybe we're going to say, yeah, we should have included that one, or... No, we didn't want to, and here's why. Um, we're also going to give you our idea of some movies you should not watch based mm, on our why. opinion. Yeah. And why, yeah. Movies that we think suck. And so um, we're not afraid to say that, right, Seth? No, I'm definitely not afraid to say that. Uh, you know, and 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 let me let me pile on to what you said here and, and about these movies and the fact that we're recommending them is based on several things. First of all, they're all Pacific movies for obvious reasons. Uh, there's a ton of European theater movies that you know we could get into, but that's not what we're about here. But they do talk about a historic aspect of the war in some way, shape, or form. And, and, and that's what's important here is that they are historically accurate, maybe not to the T, but they're historically accurate because they show this or they talk about this or whatever the case may be. And we'll explain that. Um, and then there's a lot of ones that are absolute garbage and we'll explain as to why. And I think everybody knows what number one of those films is going to be. It starts with a P and ends with a Harbor, but we'll get to that later. And <laughs> but, because it is trash it is hot trash, but, but we'll get, we'll get to that later. But uh, Bill, let's, let's, and, and again, I want to pile on to what you just said because it's important and we're going to get and don't have no fear. We're not going to do this for the rest of our series. We're going to get back to our regularly scheduled programming in another episode or two. But we needed a break. We needed we wanted to provide some content. We wanted to respond to the requests of some of the listeners and watchers. But we also needed a break from all the from all the heavy stuff. And, and you know, researching and writing that material, it it, it it's a lot of work. And we just needed a breather and this was going to be fun. It is going to be fun. And, and so, so that's why we're doing this. So and we're recording it on January 2nd. So we didn't mm-hmm. work over the Christmas New Year's holiday other than with this list of movies together. Right. And that, and that is also one of the main reasons we're doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> right. But lay it on us, Bill, what's your, uh, what's your first pick here? Yeah, so my first one, Seth, is a documentary that not a lot of people mm-hmm. know about. It's called Five Came Back, and I, I really didn't expect to like it. It's actually a miniseries. I think it's three episodes. I didn't expect to like this as much as I did. What it is is about five Hollywood directors, John Ford, William Wyler, John Huston, Frank Capra, and George Stevens, who went to war. They, you know, they, they put on uniforms. They went to war. Going to war, they filmed aspects of World War II, and in every one of the cases, it changed their lives and had a profound impact on the movie industry. Since they were, they were the, these were the five preeminent film directors in Hollywood of the day. 
So if the five preeminent film directors changed their method of making movies as a result of going to war, it changed Hollywood. And we, you could talk about Frank Capra and It's a Wonderful Life and using Jim, Jimmy Stewart, combat veteran. You could talk about, you know, John Huston and all of this stuff. George Stevens filmed, the, and we said we we're going to limit it to the Pacific. This is an, it's kind of an exception. George Stevens filmed the Nazi concentration camps. I believe he won an Oscar for the documentary he did on those concentration camps. Of course, George John Ford was both on Midway during the attack on Midway and on the D-Day landings and suffered from PTSD as a result. So this is a highly recommended three-episode miniseries called Five Came Back, and, and I really enjoyed it, Seth. It's fantastic. I, I ran across it. On, it's been out for a while, too. I, I ran across it on Netflix a couple of years ago, and same thing to you. I was like, mm, am I going to like this or not? But I knew who all those guys were, and John Ford, just spoiler alert, my favorite Hollywood director of all time, The Searcher's greatest movie ever made, but that's besides the point. Love that. Um, Love that. Oh, God. But And we're going to talk about Pappy Ford here in just a second. But the, the thing is, is that you're 100% right. It, it completely affected every single thing that they did for the remainder of their lives. You know, John Ford had, as you said, PTS big time after World War II and during the war, frankly, um, which yeah. affected his movie making. And it affected a couple of the movies or specifically one that we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes called Mr. Roberts. We'll get to that in a minute. But, um, you know, it, it's a fantastic uh, little documentary series, miniseries, whatever you want to call it. Check it out. It is really, really, really very, very good. And it's it's enlightening. And, you know, uh, I think probably a lot of our listeners have uh, similar views of Hollywood that we probably do today, but back in the 1940s, there were some serious guys that were out doing some serious work uh, during the war. And this is a really good way to look at them. Your signal flags up on that one. All right. Indeed. What's your read? Well, it's a John, ironically enough, it's not the way I planned it, but it just happened to be first on my list because I was watching this movie when I wrote this list. It is They Were Expendable. They Were Expendable, directed by John Ford, uh, starring the Duke, John Wayne, and Robert Montgomery. Um, they Were Expendable, of course, is about the PT boats um, in the Philippines in 1941, 1942. Uh, it is an absolutely, it's long, but it is an absolutely fantastic movie for multiple reasons, not the least of which is John Ford and John Wayne and Robert Montgomery are in it. But there are some really historical aspects in here. There's some hokey aspects in here too. Uh, they portray our good friend, Douglas MacArthur, like Christ in one scene when he boards one of the PT boats and is evacuated yeah. from the Philippines. Um, of course, this is all based off of the, yeah. The heroic shot of him upward when he has that heroic pose. Yep. You're right. Like Christ. It's, it's, yeah. it's pathetic. It's but disgusting. I love the movie. Yeah. And, and, and it was, it's based off of John Bulkley's uh, Medal of Honor recipients book of the same name. Uh, they were expendable uh, or about his squadron, his PT squadron. But um, the really cool thing that I love about this movie more than anything else is that Robert Montgomery was in it. And Robert Montgomery, for those who don't know, was a combat veteran, United States Naval officer from the Mediterranean Theater and the Pacific Theater. He was a PT boat driver. He was a PT boat skipper. So the action that you see in the film of him driving the PT boat, that's him. That ain't John Wayne driving his PT boat. But when Robert Montgomery is shown driving that boat, 
it is Robert Montgomery driving that boat because he was a PT boat skipper at one time, very short time, but he was for a little mm -hmm. while. And the combat or the crews rather of those PT boats, the ones who aren't in speaking roles, the ones who aren't recognizable actors are actual combat veterans from PT boats in the Mediterranean. They had bit their squadron and had been rotated home. So if you watch that movie and you see these guys, these crewmen move with such speed and fluidity and just, you know, they're, it's because they did the real thing in combat. So the extras, if you want to call them that in this movie, are actual honest to God PT boat combat veterans, which makes it absolutely mm -hmm. fantastically awesome movie. Really good movie. Put note on this movie though, because John Ford was a quote unquote combat veteran. Mm -hmm. was there on D-Day uh, during the Normandy invasions. And of course shot film during Midway and John Wayne was not a combat veteran. Right. John Ford gave John Wayne grief for years. He did not suffer him. He made fun of him for years. Big man there, Duke. Not big enough to serve your country when they needed you, eh? So, so there was a lot of tension between John Ford and John Wayne after the war, including when they were filming this movie especially when they were filming this movie more more so yeah. than any other time i mean it, you know it, it waned no pun intended after the after the after this film was made but when this movie was made john ford was and if you look at the credits in the opening he's credited as, as credited as lieutenant commander john ford usnr because at that time he was still in the navy yeah yeah exactly and yeah. so this is another two signal flags up uh, i Definitely. agree it's a great movie as well and people are going to start saying to me, now, where's all your submarine movies, Bill? I'm getting in, getting to them. But I wanted to segue. I wanted to spin off of Robert Montgomery because there was another movie that he didn't so much do, uh, act in as direct. And that one is called The Gallant Hours. And that's a movie where... Um, it, it, we're directed by Robert Montgomery, but it stars James Cagney as William F. Halsey. And it's primarily about the Battle of Guadalcanal that goes through the shoot down of Yamamoto. But the Gallant Hours, this is one of those movies that I did not know existed until a couple of years ago. And I got to tell you, another one I was very surprised by First of all, you expect a lot out of Robert Montgomery since he's a combat veteran. And I didn't expect to like James Cagney in this role. But in my opinion, he channeled William Halsey. Now, William Halsey was there for the filming. He was a technical advisor on the movie. But he died before it was released, before it hit the theaters. So he didn't live to see it go popular or whatever. But... I do believe they treated the bit, bit about Guadalcanal very fairly. I think it shows the, the kind of the gut-wrenching nature of Halsey as he's trying to make these very difficult decisions after he takes over the Guadalcanal campaign. It, it fibs, it tells some lies as it pertains to the shootdown of Yamamoto. And Seth, I think maybe you'll, you may want to play off of that. But in general, I really like this movie, Seth. It is very good. And I, I agree with you. I'd known about it for a while, but I hadn't seen it in a very long time. And I probably saw it 
like actually sat down and watched it from beginning to end about three or four years ago. And admittedly, if you are not people who watch this podcast, if you haven't seen this movie, check it out. You will like it. But if you're not like deep into the Pacific War, it may put you to sleep because there are times where it gets it gets pretty damn slow. But again, if you know the story, it's really, really interesting. And and it, it is a really good movie. And yeah, Cagney, he almost kind of looks like Halsey. Um, he does. I don't, I don't know if, I don't think he necessarily sounds like it, but regardless of this, he he plays him very, very well. And you're right. The the scene of Yamamoto shootdown is is farcical or, or not the scene of the shootdown, but the scene of, you know, where Halsey's reacting to it and all this is, is very farcical. It's not even remotely no, close to what happened. That shootdown. Right. Yeah, they changed the timeline. So it's not historically accurate. Yeah. If you want to find out what happened, go back and listen to our episode in season two. Um, but uh, the, the movie itself is very good. Um, it's long. I, I don't remember how long it is, but it is it is long. It's a pretty, pretty good uh, length for its time. You know, it's it's definitely got some length to it, but it's good. Sit down and watch it on a, you know, on a Saturday afternoon and it, uh, it, it'll it definitely be worth your time. So, yeah, I, I definitely like that movie, too. That's a good one. I had to take it off uh -huh. my list because you just mentioned it. So, <laughs> OK, a, a lot of our right. movies, too, uh, Bill, I noticed that when you sent me your list and I sent you mine, uh, there, there's quite a few of them in here. They're very, very. Uh, well, they're the same. They're the same damn movies. So so we have. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we had a lot of overlap. And although I had some on mine that I recommended that you do not recommend, it'll be fun when we get to those as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, for sure. Uh, the next one that I'm going to suggest that uh, people check out is a movie you might not know, or it's, it's relatively unknown. It's called Air Force. It was made, I want to say, in 40, late 42, early 43 is when it came out. And um, it's not an all-star cast. It was directed by a gentleman, I believe, I, I, and again, total transparency here as i always am i did not make notes for this i wrote down the list of names and i'm working off a of memory so if i flub something and i'm sure i will and i have no doubt that somebody's going to call me out for it please you're do gonna, so so you're gonna hear me. about it so oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i think this one if i remember correctly was directed by delmer daves but it, it's it's story of a b-17 unit the b-17 unit that flies into Pearl Harbor on the morning of the attack. Uh, again, it's made during the war, so it's got some very hokey dokey, you know, overly, overtly racist theme themes to it. But again, as we always said, context, remember when the film was made and remember what the film was trying to do, which was dehumanize the Japanese and make people want to eliminate them and is exactly what it helped do. Uh, regardless of what you think, it is a good movie, and the the way the enemy is portrayed in the film is the way the enemy was portrayed all around the world, not just the Japanese, but the Americans and the Germans and the Italians and everybody else, too. Everybody dehumanizes their enemy so they can kill them easily or easier. But the movie itself is very, very good. Um, it's as opposed to the last two we talked about, it's relatively short, which is nice, too. Uh, I have the attention span of a gnat, so I can't – it's very difficult for me to sit down for three hours and watch a movie without getting up 40 times. But uh, it focuses on this B-17 unit that goes into Pearl on the morning of the attack. Of course, they don't know what the hell is going on. And there's a lot of stuff in there that's that's frankly doesn't happen, but still it's it's interesting to see how – the attack is portrayed to the American public in 1943 in Hollywood. And then these same guys go to Wake Island. They hit all the early war stops. They go to Wake Island and then they end up in the Philippines and they do some stuff in the Philippines uh, at Clark Field. And, and again, it's it's fiction, but it's good. 
it's a good movie and and the fact that it is a wartime product and you're watching a wartime production it's not a cheap wartime production either it, they put some money into this wonder brothers did it's it's a good film it's worth your time check it out again not necessarily for historical accuracy but for entertainment value and the fact that it is a product of its time it's a good flick I have to admit I haven't seen this one, Seth, so I can't vote on it. But uh, I trust you enough to say two signal flags up on this one. Yes, indeed. Check it out. Check it out. It's on. And, and oh, and by the way, just so everybody knows, I think I'm looking at the list in front of my face. I think all of these movies, with the exception of maybe two or three, are available on Amazon or mm-hmm. Netflix or hell, you can order a DVD or whatever they whatever you want to do. <laughs> Air Force yeah. is on Amazon. I know for a fact because I have it. But uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. It's worth your time. What's up for you, Bill? What's next? So the next two, I'm going to put lump two together because they, in my mind, they kind of go together. When you spend more than a decade in Pearl Harbor, as I did, 11 years, I think it was, um, you know, these two movies kind of glom onto you. And the first one's in harm's way. And the second one's from here to eternity because they both take place there in Hawaii during the attack uh, initially. In harm's way, of course, I've already said, and I did my tour of Pearl Harbor where I pointed out that John Wayne's house, the one that he lived in with Burgess Meredith in that movie, was next two doors down from the house I lived in when I was Commodore on Ford Island. So I have an affinity for that. That I showed the pool, the swimming pool area, where that movie opens up right across the street from my Commodore house. And, you know, all these things. But... I like it for a bunch of reasons that have to do with the war, not just these scenes in Pearl Harbor that I, um, you know, came to know very, very well. And of course, in my opinion, it has one of the best World War II movie lines ever, where I said, I think it was Kirk Douglas who ends up saying, you know, Captain, we got ourselves a mother-loving Navy war. Yep. And I just said <laughs> I knew. I mean, it's just one of the best lines because, you know, obviously in the future we may have ourselves another mother loving Navy war. I wouldn't say it with such um, gusto. joy, yeah. gusto, if it happens again, certainly. But, um, but it is an interesting viewpoint that he brings out. It's, it's a difficult movie to watch in some ways towards the end with the Kirk Douglas character in particular, but I suspect it's not untrue or unrealistic in those regards. And the the dynamic between the political admiral and the, you know, operational admiral, uh, the admiral that John Way ends up playing. And it's one of the two movies that Henry Fonda played Nimitz in. In my opinion, this is the one he played Nimitz better in, the other one being the 1976 Midway, which I do not recommend. I'm not going to talk about that yet. Um, but but, but Fonda does a great job playing them. It's, now, from here to eternity, I had to go look up every one of those scene locations when I lived in Hawaii. And as many people on this what, who watch this podcast know, that was Frank Sinatra's career revival movie. And being Italian, I'm, I'm required by law to like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Ergo, um, I'm... Uh, I'm happy he had a queer revival from this movie. Um, the other guy that's in this movie is um, uh, Ernest um, Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine, mm-hmm. who is in another movie I'm going to talk about later. 
submarine movie, but but that, those are my two. So In Harm's Way and From Here to Eternity, I both like them and watch each of them about once a year. So From Here to Eternity is one of my very favorite movies. Uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting that it's a Pearl Harbor movie, as you said, and it is. Army. But but the yeah it's Schofield Barracks but but the the attack is only like the last what fifteen minutes of the movie maybe yeah it, it it's all about pre war navy a pre war army life in Oahu, on Oahu and and in that respect and it's I from the guys that I knew that were in, there in the you know pre war United States Army it's pretty damn accurate as to what they did or didn't do as the case may be and the way the army was frankly um it is a fantastic movie and the uh the bar that they hang out at that that Burt Lancaster and um oh goodness gracious the main character the trumpet the bugle player what the hell's his name i'm losing his name i know who you're talking about but yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah the bar that they hang out that that's my kind of joint it's like a dive bar on the side of the street. we just wrote the list of movies so yeah. we're going from yeah. memory yeah but that 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 is my kind of joint but um I, I I have to agree with you 100 percent on from here to eternity, but I cannot agree with you on in harm's way. It's 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 another one of those movies that's just long as hell. And then two, I get it. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to tell the naval combat aspect of World War II, which you would think, like Seth, why mm -hmm. don't you like this? Because this is what you like to talk about, because it's not accurate at all. And and that's why. And and it's, you know, there are historical figures that are or caricatures of historical figures that are portrayed in the film, which is cool. Uh, if you can pick up on them and the scenes where they shoot it are absolutely fantastic. I also walked by that pool almost a year ago today when I was on Ford Island with my family and uh, texting mm -hmm. you to, trying to find your house when I, when I was over there, but um, which I did. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the movie itself, I, I, I just, I never have liked it. Even as a kid, I didn't really care for the film and you're a hundred percent right. The scenes of Kirk Douglas, specifically the rape scene. Uh, I, I can't stomach that. Uh, I, I, no, not at all. But um, regardless of that, it's it's not bad, but it's definitely on my. I'm not really going to watch that one. Split <laughs> vote on that one. I understand. That's going to happen. I think it's going to happen again with my next choice, yeah. Seth, and it's Empire of the Sun. Mm. Um, I like it because it exposes the China aspect to I think a general population. That, uh, you know, as, as much as I fear saying this, I would say probably 80% of the people, Americans, I'm going to limit this to Americans, will not have no notion that more Chinese died in the Pacific War than Americans or, you know. Um, and so I think that uh, exposing what happened in China uh, to just, of course, it focuses on Caucasians, but um, and, but the fact that something happened in China is better than not doing it. Um, so that's reason number one. Reason number two, Steven Spielberg, he's just kind of, he's got this gift. Reason number three, Christian Bale once left a voicemail on my phone <laughs> that I didn't know who he was and deleted the voicemail. He was, he was an adult, but hadn't made it big as an adult actor. And when somebody said, why'd you delete that? That's the kid from Empire of the Sun. I'm thinking, what the heck? What did I just do? Oh, I'd still have that voicemail on my phone if I had realized <laughs> that it was him that left it. And I think it does a, does a magnificent job for a child. Um, 
you know, just it's heartbreaking in so many ways. And, and I tend to like the heartbreaking movies. I guess I need to rewatch that one because I haven't seen it in many years. And again, this is one of those movies that, that, that you favorite. And I, and I just simply don't, I remember the last time I watched it and I was just, I was bored to tears. Uh, the, the one mm-hmm. part I remember is when the P 51s fly over and he says, you know, Cadillac of the skies. That's, that's like the one thing that sticks out in my mind. It's just, mm-hmm. it's not, not one of my favorite films. And, and I think if you're going to do a, a movie based on the China experience in World War II, you could do something a hell of a lot better than that. And by the way, the yeah. Chinese, I know they have made several World War II movies uh, that uh, I admittedly have not seen, but I've heard really good things about from their ass, from their viewpoint of World War II against the Japanese, which I've heard that are, they're, they're quite good, but I mm-hmm. haven't watched them. So that's why we're not commenting on those. But yeah, that, that's one that, that I can't, I, I, again, admittedly, full transparency. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a very long time, so maybe I need to rewatch it. I think I'll agree with you that it's bad history. Oh, yeah. Big I time. just thought it was a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, the next movie on my list that is not bad history at all, and I rate this in my top three World War II movies ever made, is Sands of Iwo Jima. Sands of Iwo Jima is a fan fantastic movie yes it stars the duke it's it also has three of the the the, try again seth three of the theoretical flag raisers from surabachi rennie gagnon uh ira hayes and doc bradley in it and i said theoretical because at the time that's who we thought raised the flags and they did not ira hayes did obviously and jack bradley or john bradley uh raised the first flag but not the second we'll get to that when we get to iwo jima which is uh coming down the road here in the near future regardless of this they are in that movie and this movie covers not only iwo jima hence the name sands of iwo jima it also covers tarawa which obviously bill we spent a lot of time talking about Basio. And what's really freaking cool, if you did not know, is there are two guest appearances, aside from the Rennie Gagnon and Hayes and, and, and Bradley, there is uh, Jim Crow is in the movie, on the, in the terrorist scene, mustache. with his mustache. His, his mustache got a separate credit. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> And, and he has a speaking role, as as does Colonel David M. Shoup, Medal of Honor recipient. He is right. also a horrible actor, hell of a Marine, terrible yeah. actor. My yeah. God. I mean, he is as wooden as a, as a telephone pole. But, I mean, just it's just cool for that aspect alone. And, and the fact that they show Tarawa for what it was, which was a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. And they show Iwo for at least the first beginnings of Iwo for what it was, which was a bloodbath. The one thing, the one fault I do have with it is that it it ends with, of course, and again, probably everybody knows this, the Duke dies. But he dies right after they raise the flag on Iwo Jima and it, or in Surabachi, rather. And it kind of alludes to the fact that, oh, the battle's over now. The flag's, flag's raised. And that is completely false. That happened on day yeah, yeah, exactly. It happened on day five of 36. So it's not even remotely close to what actually happened there. However, the way that they portray the combat for 1949 is really good. Uh, you know, you can tell that John Stryker, who's who's the Duke, or the Duke plays John Stryker, um, he's got some wicked PTS. You know, he he's a Guadalcanal veteran. He goes to Basio and then Iwo, and he's a you know, hard-drinking, frankly, he's an alcoholic He's a violent, violent man with a violent past. And I'm not just talking about war, but you know, probably 
beating on his former wife. They allude to that in the film, which is some hardcore stuff to do in 1949 when this movie was rela uh, released. But 49, Bill, was, and we're not going to get into these other two films, was a the best year for World War II movies ever made because not only did Sands of Ewell come out in 49, so did 12 O'Clock High and Battleground, my other two favorite mm -hmm. World War II movies. Mm -hmm. Well, didn't I? Can't, was when did Best Years of Our Lives come out? Wasn't that also 49? Uh, was it? Uh, but yeah, it might go on a list. It did, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. So I love this movie as well. It is brutal, shockingly brutal for 1949, as you indicated. But the reality aspect of it, remember, we're coming out of a period in Hollywood where everything is overplayed, acting, everyone overacts. There are a few exceptions. We're going to talk about one in a little while. John Wayne is not one of those exceptions. Generally, he's an overactor, not a not a reserved kind of underactor. Um, and everything is there's hyperbolized. And then this movie really doesn't do that. It just yeah. it does what it does, and it's um, try, tries to be. But remember the Basio, the actual Basio newsreels had already been shown yeah. to the American public during the war. So there was some preconditioning already happened with the American public before this movie came out and revisited Basio and revisited Iwo Jima. So, but, so I guess they could afford to be a little bit more brutal because of that. Uh, but it was still amazing for that time. So again, two signal flags up on this one. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And and to your point about the combat footage, Bill, uh, a lot of the footage that we showed in our Basio episodes, um, specific, and also, by the way, the, the combat footage uh, that shows Bonnieman's Medal of Honor is shown in this movie. Of course, it's not said that this is what's happening, but the actual combat footage from Basio and Iwo, there's a lot of archival in this film. So, I mean, it's stuff you had you've seen before. But mm -hmm. it's cool that they're using the real footage talking about Basio or Iwo, whatever the case may be. And so it's it's visually accurate and it's it's just, it's a damn fine film, really is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I didn't expect to say that about a John Wayne movie. I love The Searchers. I love John Wayne, but I've never I've always said that uh, John Wayne movies are usually over the top. These are two that are not. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, my next selection is actually be, I'm going to group two again. Sorry, I'm cheating here, Seth. And it's the two midways. It's the 1976 midway and the 2019 midway. Because I recommend one and not the other. Right. I recommend the 2019 one and not the 1976 one. And I was at the Academy when the 76 one came out. So I wanted to love this movie so much. Because I had the professor, E.B. Potter, as my history C power professor, and um, and and the, there was just too much melodrama. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was the, the business of the, the father that doesn't want the son to get married to the Asian, local Asian, Japanese-American girl in Hawaii. And it was just too much. It was yep. not enough. And what there was about the battle wasn't historically accurate. The 2019 Midway had some issues. The plane that lands at two hours after it would have run out of fuel. Come on, give me a break. Right. But from a, from a historical accuracy standpoint, it, it was better than the other one. Right. And, and the point I'm making is Americans ought to know about this battle. And if watching a somewhat flawed and yet mostly correct 
uh, movie about Midway is one way to get there, I'm willing to recommend it. Because if Pearl Harbor was as good about Pearl Harbor as Midway is as good as Midway, I'd recommend Pearl Harbor too, but it sucks so bad, it's not recoverable. So 2019 Midway, by the way, the Navy did participate, comment on the script for the 2019 Midway, and the producers did incorporate most of the Navy's feedback, not all of it. But most of it, that is not true for the 1976 version, Seth. Yeah, 100% true. Uh, the 1976 version, when I was a kid, I remember renting it from the local movie rental store and it wasn't Blockbuster, but it was one of those local places rented the VHS. And I remember watching it and I was young, you know, and I remember watching it and thinking, this movie is freaking awesome. You know, that was my gateway drug into the Pacific theater was the 1976 Midway movie. I freaking love that movie. I must have watched that movie a hundred friggin' times. And as I got older and I got into the career that I currently sit in, I realized just how piss poor that movie really is. And, and yeah, yeah 100% agree. The melodrama is asinine. But the mm. fact of the matter remains is that most not all, but most of the original participants in the actual event were still alive when they were making that movie, not the least of which was Joe Rochefort, for Christ's sakes. And yep. it's, you know, they they portray him, Hal Holbrook portrays Rochefort as this Looney Tunes guy, you know, and it's just, it's disgraceful. Yeah, which is, to a point, is is accurate, but but it was just, it was disgraceful the way they did it. And, you know, Charlton Heston is... God bless him, was not a good actor. And they inserted him into this movie to, I guess, to carry the storyline along. And it's just, they they miss. Oh, they miss. And he was a character. Yeah. 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 I will say the 2019 version, I did not expect to like Woody Harrelson as Nimitz. I mean, and I, I did. I did too. And I did. I liked him as Nimitz. I, that shocked me. So in, in, a, in, a, in a carry on of my own, life uh, in 2019 i dragged my son to the theater to see the 2019 midway and that was his gateway drug to the pacific theater he actually as a matter of fact watched it yesterday uh, again and it's so here's my thing this is what i've always said about it because i know people are going to say that's not accurate i know it's not accurate but the point is if you look at it from the pretext of it's the story of enterprise air group from december 7th to june 4th it's a little bit easier to swallow than if you say this is a movie about Midway because it ain't. It's a movie about Enterprise Air Group, and it is. And it, and it talks about a lot of the high-profile people, Wade McCluskey, Dick Best, Clarence Dickinson, uh, Gene Lindsay, people like that. All these names are in there, and they're caricatures, frankly, all of them, of the actual people. Dick Best was not a maverick, and by maverick, I'm talking Top Gun, of World War II. He was not like that. He was the consummate professional um, Clarence Dickinson wasn't this, you know, hayseed, uh, and nor did they combine VS six and VB six into one squadron. But I digress. <laughs> we could we could go and we could go on for an hour about this. However, it does give the impression of what that early 1941-42 Pacific Carrier War was like, and in that respect, it's worth a viewing if you haven't seen it. And I agree with you 100. Yeah. 1976 version sucks. 2019 version worth a look. And I know we're going to have viewers who disagree with us on that. The, and again, I, the other movies that we're going to refer to later are titles of battles 
but the entire movie is fiction. This one is diff is not that, right? This one is true to some extent, not fully true, uh, you know. And so I guess that's why I like it better. So what was right. what's your next one? Well, well, and and to get back to what you were saying, just real quick, the CGI in this movie is incredibly good. It it is incredibly right. good, and people have criticized. Well, they have too much CGI. Yeah, well, you know what? There's not a whole thirty-two squadron. Uh, airplane <laughs> airplane squadron a dauntless flying around the air so you got to do what you got to do and last time i checked kaga was at the bottom of the pacific and you you know you mm -hmm. got to do what you got to do and what then they do it very well it looks really good um the next movie i got here bill as i know is one that's on your list as well and i mentioned it before and that's mr roberts mr roberts mm -hmm. is awesome it is awesome for many reasons not the least of which is is it's a navy movie in world war ii set in the pacific theater starring one of my favorite actors henry fonda and another of my very favorite actors jack lemon and william powell and james cagney i could go on and on and on and jack lemon's ensign palver is still to this day one of the funniest characters in a war movie i've ever seen and I would imagine he's a pretty good representation of a sack rat ensign in the backwaters of the Pacific, Bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a classic. And I would say that this is the best Henry Fonda movie ever. It's it's between yeah. this and Grapes of but right, well, I think yeah. this one's edges it out a little bit. And by the way, I had an XO once who reminded me of the of the skipper on this, <laughs> on the ship, right? So um, it, it kind of, was, it was hard for me to watch because I've lived through that to some extent, you know? Um, but, but I love the movie. I love the movie. And this one goes um, hand in love with another similar movie with a classic actor, The Cane Mutiny. And and I've got some familiarization or association with the Kane Mutiny because Herman Woke, who wrote the Kane Mutiny book, lived in D.C. when I was at the Academy. We produced uh, the Kane Mutiny as a play, and I was the assistant producer of that play, and Herman Woke came to see it. That's so cool. it was so cool. One of the, my friends in my company, class ahead of me, class 70, Marcus Fisk was one of the stars in our production. But of course, they we're talking about movies and this movie with Henry Bo uh, Humphrey Bogart, Kane Mutiny and Casablanca, two best Humphrey Bogart movies ever. And so, yeah, these, you know, really gripping stories about challenging ships, both based on real experiences of the authors in World War II, challenging ship experiences. You know, one near mutiny, Mr. Roberts, one mutiny, the K mutiny. And so I love both of them, Seth. Oh, absolutely fantastic. And, and, and to finish, what I was going to say about Mr. Roberts is we mentioned mm -hmm. about Jack Ford, about, about John Ford being director, and he was the director for Mr. Roberts. However, his PTS had been triggered so bad during the making of this film, and he got drinking, got to drinking so bad during the making of this film that he was actually pulled off. He was no longer the director of the film. Henry Fonda directed about 75% of that movie. That's right. Mr. I forgot. Yeah. About that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He closed it out. 
Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. And and the Kane mutiny is is agreed, hundred percent agreed. That movie is absolutely awesome. It stars uh, Bogart and then Van Johnson too. Van Johnson, of mm-hmm. course, plays the the XO, and Van Johnson is in Battleground, my favorite World War II movie ever. But um, th- that is a fantastic movie visually. It's in color. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, the, the mm-hmm. ships are obviously not. You know, it's they're of their times. I forget that movie was made in the fifties, wasn't it, Bill? Early fifties. It was, yeah, fifty five, yeah, yeah. I think, somewhere Something around like there. That. Yeah, and 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 the, and the the ladies' dress of the period, not nineteen forties, but the nineteen fifties. Take that out of the equation. It's a beautiful movie visually. Um, they got some pretty well known guys in there. Lee Marvin is in that movie. Uh, the Marine who got shot in the behind on Saipan. Um, you know, he, uh, he he plays a really good character. Meatball, I think, is his name in the movie. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. movie. One of my go to Sunday afternoon watches. Jose Ferrer plays the lawyer. The lawyer. And he played right. it just right. I had to remember that name. Mm-hmm. Um, with the fact that, you know, he's doing his lawyer's duty, but it's distasteful to him because he's got to mm-hmm. take down a good man, an academy graduate, you know, who was protecting the country when before the war started, when you you were still going to Princeton or Harvard or whatever it was. Yeah, he says that yeah, just, in the movie, yeah. Yeah. I just love that dynamic. And, you know, and you could see, again, I had a CO. I, this is fairly common knowledge. I had a CO who started losing it when I was at sea on deployment when I was a junior officer. And um, we tried to get the XO to relieve him on medical grounds. And it turns out, and the XO wouldn't do it, right? And and I'm thinking of the K-Muni here. I'm trying to find brick out the Navy regulation rules that authorize him to do it. And all that. I'm thinking, which character in the K-Muni am, am I right now? Because we're bringing it to so, <laughs> Am I going to be in court-martialed for this? This kind of thing. And um, turns out the CEO had a heart, heart attack. He was having these mini strokes called TIAs. We didn't know it. But while we were out, CEO had a heart attack. And if we were in a Los Angeles-class submarine... And with a really high flank speed, we can go really fast. He might not have survived until we can get him. I think we took him to Subic, Philippines, to medevac him, got him in the hospital. Um, he survived. But then we got we got CO number one that CO number two relieved, became CO number three um, for a little while until we got CO number four. So we went through a bunch of COs during that time. And uh, they're just... So the Kane mutiny really resonated. I, you know, I, I participated in the play when I was at the academy and then almost lived it when I was a junior officer. So, again, it, it just touches me in a way that none of these other movies do. No, it's a good movie. And and, and uh, also the scene, the storm scene where Captain Quig, who's Bogart, loses it. Uh, that's supposedly mm-hmm. supposed to be Halsey's Typhoon, which is Typhoon Cobra, which, of course, We'll right. get to that point in the in the actual history of the war when we get to that point. But uh, that's mm-hmm. what's uh, portrayed there. Um, the next one on my list, Bill, I know is also on your list for obvious reasons. And it is the granddaddy of all submarine movies in World War II. And it is the best, in my opinion, not mentioning Das Boot, is Destination Tokyo. I've talked about this briefly in the, in the show before. Destination Tokyo, again, is a wartime production. Starring Cary Grant, 
who's a great actor, and John Garfield, who's a great actor, and there's a whole list of people that were in here. But the really cool thing about this, and he's uncredited, but he was, by God, may God strike me dead if I'm lying, the technical advisor for this movie was none other than Dudley W. Mush Morton. And there are photographs of Mush and Cary Grant on the set of Destination Tokyo, multiple photographs of them. Um, But the movie is really cool i i call destination tokyo a christmas movie because there's a scene in there where they're singing christmas carols so that's my excuse to watch it every month of the year including the month of december um but it's great it covers you know this early war pacific submarine that goes and the story is somewhat fictional well it is fictional frankly to a point but it it mm-hmm. does what a lot of submarine movies do bill and i know you're going to talk about this in a minute is it takes a lot of the stories from various submarines and piles them into one and it makes this one yeah. submarine do all these really cool things, which unless you're Gene Flucky, you didn't do all these really cool things in one submarine, certainly not on one patrol. But uh, it's nonetheless, if you take that out of the equation and just say, OK, well, there's no submarine called Copperfin and they didn't do all these things. Well, no kidding. But, mm-hmm. you know, it portrays the submarine service as it was uh, all the gear that they wear in this movie, all the uniforms that they wear in this movie are like 100% dead on accurate from the deck jackets to the, you know, the, the way these guys talk. And, you know, they talk about uh, market street commandos in San Francisco, which of course are the, the battleship sailors from the old dreadnoughts that were tied up in, 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 in the Embarcadero for months after Pearl Harbor. It's just, it's a product of its times and it's freaking amazingly good and an easy watch i've seen it probably three dozen times and i can still watch it right now no i don't like it at all i'm <laughs> kidding i'm kidding um you're right it is the granddaddy of submarine movies the only one that comes close to it is a movie we won't talk about today because that's atlantic movie dust Bowl. and so the, the you know alan hale when you look when i look at it, i still can't help think of Gilligan because his son is Ellen Hill of Gilligan's Island. Um, but, you know, doing the, the weather reporting during the Doolittle raid, I mean, that mission. And of course, Mush Morton didn't live to see the movie released. How gut wrenching is that? Tony Curtis joined the Navy after watching this movie and wanted to be on submarines, but only got assigned to submarine tenders. Um, the story is a little fuzzy about why that happened because I think if he didn't qualify for submarine duty or didn't have time to go to submarine school, it's all kind of mushed up. But but also, this this movie impacted Ronald Reagan. And so you can draw a line six degrees of separation, right? This is not in the game. You could draw six degrees of separation between the making of Destination in Tokyo. And Ronald Reagan is president of the United States. You want to see how I do that? Yes, I do. <laughs> Ronald, Reagan, Ronald Reagan loved Destination Tokyo so bad, so much, he wanted to be in a submarine movie, and he got Hellcats of the Navy. Mm. Hellcats of the Navy, he had already been married to Nancy when he made that one, sucked so bad, he thought, if this is the kind of quality movie I'm getting, my career as an actor must be over. So I'm going to go into politics because he had already been president of the Screen Actors Guild at this point, right? And he decided, and this is because Hellcats in the Navy was some late 50s, 59 ish. Yeah. So he decides to go run for governor of California. And of course, 
becomes president. So destination Tokyo results in Ronald Reagan becoming president. There you How go. do you like that? Death. That's that's <laughs> that's fantastic. And I'm before before we jump to your next one, I'm going to tie in one because it's a direct result of yep. destination Tokyo. And you mm -hmm. mentioned Tony Curtis, and I didn't think of this until you said that. But another movie that's on my list, and 100% clarity, it's a comedy, and it's supposed to be Operation Petticoat. Operation, Operation Petticoat <laughs> is one of my favorite movies. It stars, yet again, Cary Grant as a submarine skipper, and his, well, it's, it's it, he makes him his supply officer. It's Tony Curtis. And Tony right. Curtis was, when they filmed this movie, I remember watching an interview with Tony Curtis, where he said he was so like Cary Grant was his favorite actor of all time. It was his hero. And when he first walked on the set and he saw Cary Grant, he was just like dumbstruck. And if you know mm -hmm. anything about Tony Curtis, Tony Curtis goes on later on in 1959 to make a movie with Jack Lemmon, another one of my favorite actors, and a little girl named Marilyn Monroe called Some Like It Hot, uh, yeah. which is the funniest movie ever made. But Tony Curtis, his accent in that movie is based off of Cary Grant's accent. So he talks like this all the time. And he said he met Cary after that movie <laughs> debuted. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he met Cary again after that movie debuted and Cary walked up to him. And he said, Tony, I really don't talk like that, do I? And he said he was just, you know, completely embarrassed at this. But that's besides the point. Operation Petticoat is a direct result of Destination Tokyo. Hysterically like funny movie. They painted the submarine pink in that yes. movie, right? Yes. It wasn't intended to be primer. Well, red lead is the primer that we use on the lower half of the submarine. The upper half is black in modern times. And one time we had we were prime we were painting the submarine and went too high with that stuff with the red lead and said, "Holy cow, we're turning an Operation Petticoat submarine. We'll get red instead of pink." But get rid of that. That's all supposed to be black. Well, the historical ties here. Now, we're, we're talking about how good the movies are for various reasons, but there are historical ties in Operation Petticoat to real and honest-to-God submarines. Uh, the whole pink submarine thing is somewhat true. Uh, there was a submarine that was depth-charged, and I, I cannot remember which one it was right now because, again, no notes, no prep here, um, that actually did have a lot of the paint blasted off of it, and it was showing its red primer underneath when it surfaced after the depth-charging attack. So that is not... 100% true, but it's similar. And yeah, there's an episode in the beginning of the movie where Cary Grant is right when Tony Curtis first becomes supply officer. Cary Grant is going through um, requisition papers and he's asking for toilet paper. And he basically dictates a letter to one of his sailors for requisition of toilet paper. This is almost 100% verbatim from an actual letter written by a commander Co. C-O-E, during the war, requisitioning you know friggin' the toilet paper. It's hysterical, <laughs> but it's true. It's, it's I know the letter. It is, yeah. it is absolutely true, right? In case you need to understand what I'm asking for, I have included a sample. <laughs> yes. yes. Great movie, yeah. though. Great movie. It is. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue. I guess we'll stay with the submarine theme because I got a list of this. A, a movie that I like almost as much, as maybe as much or more as Destination Tokyo is Torpedo Run mm. for a bunch of reasons. Glenn Ford, Ernest Borgnine, we mentioned earlier, but, but Glenn Ford is of the school of underacting. 
And it's a it's a gut wrenching movie because he ends up sinking the ship that's carrying his wife and daughter uh, because it's being used to shield a new aircraft carrier. Right. And so um, but but this movie, more than any other on the list, as I go through them, gets the litany, the language um, of the submarine and it's all of the functions that occur during a torpedo approach and attack exactly right. Mm. The details in this movie are incredible. Glenn Ford's wearing his Annapolis ring on his left hand ring finger with his wedding ring. Annapolis has had a hundred year tradition of doing that. Most other colleges, you wear your wedding ring on your ring, college ring on your right hand, if you wear it at all, but we wear it on our left hand. He gets those details right. They get the, and, and by the way, no surprise these details are right because who was the technical advisor on Torpedo Run? Some dude named Charles Lockwood. Mm. <laughs> so um, it is a superb movie. If And again, it suffers from the one defect that all of these movies suffer, all these period World War II submarine movies, and it's the hokey surface ship um special effects, right? You can tell they're models. Models. The, you know, and that, that, you just can't get over that. They didn't have the technology. But one thing I want you to notice when you watch this movie is when the submarine is being depth charged, you see the hull plating vibrating from the shock wave of the depth charges. The other movies that use models that aren't, you know, correct from a design standpoint, from a whole plating standpoint, even though it's a model, it looks like a toy. In Torpedo Run, it looks like a submarine that, 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 that the, where the bulkheads are vibrating. I'm talking about external shots from the outside, those underwater shots of the depth charges. Watch the hull plates vibrate. You, that's when you know they're paying attention to detail in this movie they can't make the surface ships look accurate sorry about that young kids who hate these old movies because the surface ship looks like toys that's the way it is but this is a good one seth you know i i i am ashamed to say this i have not seen this movie i've never seen it oh no well, you gotta watch it now yeah it's required viewing now i i have to see yeah. this i and i like glenn ford he's a good actor and i like submarine movies because as we alluded to earlier, a lot of my movies are the same movies that are on your list, and a good many of them are subflicks. Um, I have never seen this movie. I need to check this out. So I can't comment on it because I don't know. But it sounds like it's a damn good flick, so I'll, yeah, I'll put it on the list. Yeah. Well, then we'll spin off that one and say Operation Pacific is the next one on my list. That's another John Wayne movie. Yep. And it deals with the torpedo problems. Hallelujah, right? Yeah. He's rescuing nuns and children from the Philippines when it opens. And yeah, this is the one movie that deals with the to torpedo problems. Admiral Lockwood, again, is the technical advisor. And John Wayne's um, love interest is P Patricia O'Neill, who is also his love interest in In Harm's Way. Wow. She plays a nurse and Navy nurse in both of those movies, right. who's being fought for by other. This is one of those silly. There, there are a few. I did a uh, review three or four years ago of this horrible, 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 did I say horrible, miniseries of Das Boot, 
Oh, God, that on. was terrible. Yeah. Okay. And I listed 42 reasons to hate this movie and never watch it. And it goes through all of the canards, the, um, the things that every bad submarine movie has. A torpedo falls and crushes a sailor. The XO and the CO get into a fight. They can't stand each other, right? I go through the entire list. Operation Pacific has a few of these things it that does. I go through. But, but the, but the um, horrible DOS Boat miniseries, don't watch it, mm-hmm. um, has all of them. It's like a collection of the worst elements of every submarine movie ever made. But Operation Pacific, I will admit, I like it. I think it's worth oh, yeah. watching. Has a few of those. <laughs> Operation Pacific is was the first submarine movie I ever saw as a kid. Um, it, it, I love. I like John Wayne. I'll be hundred percent clear. Mm-hmm. I, I like him in every. He's a better cowboy than he was a soldier. But regardless of this, I like the Duke. So if the Duke's in it, I'm going to watch it. And that that it's a it's a good movie. This movie more so than any of the other sub movies that we talked about takes actual historical incidences from the war and snowballs mm-hmm. them into this one submarine. Yes, there was a submarine that went and rescued uh, Catholic nuns and children out of the Philippines during World War II and also brought gold back, by the way, uh, Filipino gold. But there was also a submarine uh, that, that uh, you know, sunk an aircraft carrier. In the movie, they sink what looks to be Chicago. Obviously, we know that's Kavala. Uh, there's several different episodes. There's a submarine that comes into Pearl Harbor with a broom tied to the periscope. First one that did that was Mush Morton's USS Wahoo. So, I mean, there's a ton of different little accurate little points to different submarines of the war in the movie. Um, what is the name? Copperfin, I think. Is it not Copperfin or Thunderfish? That's the name of the oh, yeah. movie in Operation uh, Pacific. But there was no submarine such as that. But to your point, you can tell exactly that Charlie Lockwood was sitting there going, you got to include this. You got to include that. Mm-hmm. You got to include mm-hmm. this. And if you know the actual story of the silent service in World War II, you pick up on those little nuances that are in the film. Oh, when uh, Ward Bond, who was John Wayne's actual best friend in real life, gets killed, he's playing uh, Howard Gilmore when he you know, gets machine gunned by the Japanese on the bridge and screams, take her down, take her down. I mean, it's all these actual things. They're snowballed into one submarine, but they're real occurrences that happened during the war, which makes that movie, frankly, if you're looking at it from a historical aspect, Probably the most accurate World War II Pacific submarine movie made in terms of actual story. At this is what really happened, or it happened like this, or something like that. You know, more so than Destination Tokyo or any of the other ones we mentioned. I think. Yeah. So your next one. Uh, my next one's actually a pre-war movie, and we talked about it before. Again, the story is atrocious, but it's worth watching just for the visuals, and that's Errol Flynn and Dive Bomber. Dive Bomber is just, it's color. It was made in 1940 and premiered in 41. It was a huge recruiting thing for the Navy during World War II. Um, again, we'll not get into the whole story with Errol Flynn and Halsey on Enterprise. It's, you know, whatever. But the movie is worth watching just for the they were color friends, footage. Weren't they? <laughs> no, not, no, they were not. But, they were not but it's worth watching. Yeah, you're really. It, it, it's worth watching just for the color footage of the Big E in her pre-war glory. They got SBDs, of which I think there's only two. There's BT ones. There's uh, there's uh, SB two um, SB two U's. There's TBDs. There's F two A's. All these 
badass pre-war U.S. Navy fighters and dive bombers and torpedo bombers are all in there and their glorious pre-war color paint schemes. Mm -hmm. It's it's a modeler's fantasy to watch this movie. And you get to see aircraft that are long since deceased in terms of flying condition, with the exception of the Dauntless. Um, fly and and they're real airplanes and they're not you know mock-ups they're the real bird including the tbds that do a sexy low pass over north island and it's filmed at north island by the way in in san diego which is also very cool mm -hmm. yeah that's I, I like it too um i it's been a long time since i saw it uh but you know and, and to some extent i think a lot of it went over my head no pun intended um yeah. with all the planes but um because because i wasn't into the um details of the different air, airplane type model series back then as i might be now i'm still not wonderful when it comes to that stuff anyway but but it was a wonderful view look at um all of these things and just really well done from that standpoint my next one probably should have been higher on the list because it's probably one of the first movies coming to the viewers' minds when they think about the Pacific War, and that is Tora, Tora, Tora. It is the definitive portrayal of the Pearl Harbor attack, in my view. Um, one bit of fiction, uh, um, Yamamoto never said, I fear we have awakened a sleeping giant. The screenwriter wrote that out of whole cloth. Um, and so, but other than that, it, it's, a, I mean, those are real airplanes flying over real Pearl Harbor. And, you know, when I was there in the 80s, early 80s, I, I reported December of 1980 to my first summary. Um, there were still a lot of folks uh, in Pearl Harbor stationed there who had been in when the film, when, when the, this movie was filmed in Pearl Harbor in the mid-70s. So there were a lot of, and, and most of those airplanes aren't flying anymore because there's so few of them left, right? They kind of, there's a tendency to crash. Um, and historians like John Parshall would, would be very happy if real World War II airplanes were never flown ever again because every time one crashes, that's one fewer that exists in the world, right? And so, but, but then they had a bunch. They still had a bunch. And I and I believe they crashed one or two while they were filming the movie, but um, it was it's quite a spectacle. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's it's awesome, and that was actually ironically enough next on my list as well. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's an almost minute by minute account. Are there some things that they miss? Yeah, obviously, but it covers everything from even the political negotiations in D.C until the attack and 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 mm -hmm. the attack itself actually is longer in the movie than it actually was in real life but regardless of this because they try to show everything and and okay. what's really cool about this movie is a joint production between the united states and japan and some of the coolest scenes in the film are the japanese scenes in my opinion yeah um, they were initially directed by kurosawa who was you know this fantastic japanese director and he got kind of into the weeds and they replaced him regardless yeah. um it, it's it's a fantastic movie from both sides it's mm -hmm. it's pretty damn accurate i mean there's you, you got to really struggle to find fault with the things that they show and that they talk about aside from the quote that you talked about yamamoto that never said never happened but most of it's pretty pretty spot on and visually it's awesome um some of the airplanes were were recreations and by that i mean they took airplanes and made them look like 
other airplanes, but like there's uh, the scene where the P-40s are getting strafed. It's an interesting thing if you watch in that one scene where the zeros are coming down and strafing. I think it's the zeros are coming down and strafing the field there at uh, at Hickam and the P-40s are blown. They're blowing up everywhere. Those were remote controlled operation detonations on those planes. And they were these ones that get blown up. The, the Warhawks that get blown up are fake. However, yeah. there was there was one scene where you can laugh about it now, but you couldn't then, is that it goes off. It explodes before the actor, the stunt man, realized it was going to. And you see this guy just hauling ass after this thing explodes. Yeah. And there's a propeller coming after him. Because that was real, like that was unscripted. That was real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and if you saw my episode where I do the tour of Pearl Harbor, I take you to my old office that was Kimmel's office, later Nimitz's office, where the bullet came through. Pokey bit about that is that the they tried to explain it. The director who doesn't know anything about physics tried to explain it by having one actor pick up the bullet and say, "It's spent, sir." A bullet is always spent. It's the charge behind the bullet. It wasn't spent. You know, that's they're trying to explain why it didn't go through his, his cigarette case. That he was it, because the real reason, as I proved through mechanical mechanics, physics, when I was at the academy, was it was an American bullet, not a Japanese bullet. It had been shot up, fell back down, and didn't have enough kin kinetic energy to go through that cigarette case. If it had been a Japanese bullet, he would have been dead. And that line, I'd have been, it would have been merciful if it, it had killed me. He really said that. So, I mean, the movie shows that window, shows that office, all of that stuff. And so it's really cool from that standpoint. Absolutely. Fantastic film. I, I, when, when my family and I went to Hawaii last year, I watched it on the bird going, going, over, to, going over to Hawaii. <laughs> it is Absolutely fantastic, awesome, top five, in my opinion, World War II movies ever made, Tor, Tor, Tor. Big, great movie. Mm -hmm. So my next one on my list is, um, it's not a movie, it's a miniseries. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. And of course, it is The Pacific. Um, of course. The Pacific is out freaking standing. And not just because I was a historian that worked on The Pacific, of course, that, that helps, you know, but, but, but in all honesty, um, it's based off, of course, two books, uh, Helmet for My Pillow by Bob Leckie and um, With the Old Breed by Gene Sledge. Um, and it focuses on H21 and K35 of the 1st Marine Division, of which I was intimately familiar with the survivors of both of those companies. And it's um, there There are some, you know, Hollywood, what are they, a creative license, you know, artistic license. There are some things in there that are, you know, compositions of different people and things like that. And, you know, there are some fictional people like, like John Bassalone's buddy that gets killed and all this, who's uh, Shane from The Walking Dead. That guy never existed. Huh? The buddy is that... by John Bernthal. Yeah. I, uh, I met that guy, John Bernthal. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was a fictional character, but regardless of this, <laughs> it tells the story of the first Marine division during World War II, and it spends an inordinate amount of time on Peleliu, which is awesome. Um, which obviously, we're, that's the next campaign we're going to get to in our series, but it's fantastic. It's accurate. And, and honest to God, my favorite episode of the whole series is the last one. And this will be a segue into a movie that both of you and I like, Bill, and we'll, we'll get to that after you comment on the Pacific, but it's when mm -hmm. the guys come home 
and Gene Sledge goes out to go shoot doves with his dad, and he just loses his you can't, composure. You can't do it. Yeah. And you can't and do it. I agree. It's absolutely heartbreaking to see that. And it's, I mean, that is post-traumatic stress, which he had, admittedly. He, he mentions it many times in his book and his life mm-hmm. afterwards. But it's it's just awesome miniseries. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It is freaking amazing. Absolutely fantastic. It helped that his dad was a physician and could right. understand what was going on. And the World War One veteran could help mm-hmm. understand. And so, Seth, I'm not blowing smoke at you. I owned and loved the Pacific before I knew you. Mm-hmm. So 100% agreement. When I, If anybody ever asks me, what's the best thing for me to watch to understand the Pacific War? I say, the Pacific. If you're gonna, if you're only gonna watch one thing, it's a mini series, so it's just one thing. Ten episodes, I think. Um, Ten hours, yeah. If you're only gonna watch one thing, it's that. The only thing I wish you'd cover you, it wasn't your decision. They had covered more in that mini series was would have been Chesty Puller's meltdown in Peleliu. Um, I don't think that was covered at all, was it? It was not. And, and we it wouldn't wasn't, even mention right. that he was wounded. Ironically enough, I was having a text conversation with our good friend Dave Holland over this past weekend mm-hmm. about that very thing, because I told him we were getting a Peleliu and I was going to raise hell with Chesty Puller. And he was like, well, here's some notes. And he sent me some notes, some some things, that, some things that I'd known, but some things that I did not know, frankly. And uh, Dave, if you're watching this, thank you, my friend. And uh, I will make sure mm-hmm. that we cover it as judiciously and as fairly as we do as we always do but yeah no they don't i mean chesty's in it but but they none of that is mentioned because it focuses on the grunts you know as it should it focuses on the guys you know the 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 trigger pullers and the guys that suffered more than anybody else but yeah yeah my next one is um not technically a pacific movie but it's so good i just have to include it it is the best years of our lives Mm -hmm. William Wyler, who we talked about earlier in that five returned, you know, that was a director that, uh, you know, filmed uh, in the European theater during during World War Two. And and, you know, he it's not the first movie ever to to cover PTSD, um, because I think you, you might say that uh, it, at least all quiet on the Western Front did that mm-hmm. in, in World War One time period. In the 1920s, it dealt with it. But I would think I would say that it's the best, first, best American movie. And it deals with, you know, struggling to find a job after you came home, which is kind of one of my campaigns these days. Uh, now that I'm retired from my CEO position, I, you know, I try to help veterans find jobs. But it's it's about PTSD and it's about, you know, it deals with a an actual amputee um, from World War II playing a sailor amputee veteran. Actually, the guy lost his arms. It was the guy who lost his arms. The actor who lost his arms had been in the Army. And I think he even won actor Oscar. He did. Never having acted in anything before in his life. Um, It is just such a heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, but realistic movie. It's one of those movies that for my own moral conditioning, I find it necessary to watch once a year, Seth. Absolutely. It, it's one of the finest films 
ever made, you know, and mm-hmm. not just war movies, but ever made. And it does fit in the Pacific because um, the sergeant whom I'm drawing a blank on, the the, the banker, he's, he's, he's a Pacific veteran. So because he comes yeah. home and he brings his son a samurai sword, you know, a katana. The banker. So, I mean, right. That's a banker. That's right. Know? Frederick Marsh. Mm-hmm. Frederick Marsh. Yeah. Um, he's way but, too old yeah. to play that part. But anyway, the actor yeah. was. But anyway, go ahead. But yeah, I mean, he he's a raging alcoholic when he comes home because mm-hmm. he's trying to escape the demons of the Pacific Theater. And he's, if I remember correctly, and, and I haven't seen it in several months, but I think he was Tropic Lightning. If I remember correctly, I, I remember seeing 25th ID on his, yeah. on his Class A's when he comes home, regardless of this. Uh, if that is the case, then theoretically, that character would have seen some heavy, heavy action. And he comes home and instead of, you know, blowing up and losing his mind in front of his family, he just drowns his sorrows and booze, uh, which was a far too common occurrence then and now. And, yes. you know... And like you said, Harold Russell, uh, the the actor, well, he, he became an actor for a short while, but the Army veteran who plays a sailor who loses his hands um, mm-hmm. when his carrier goes down. And by the way, Harold Russell did not lose his hands in combat, but regardless of this, he plays an excellent part in the movie. Um, he also deals with his stress by not wanting to marry his high school sweetheart, his next door neighbor. And it's just because, you know, he's, he's afraid that he's a monster. I want to be a burden to her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's freaking beautiful. But the scene in that movie that gets me every freaking time is when Dana Andrews has the nightmare in the bed. Yep. Because that is, as far as I know, is the first time that that kind of thing was shown on American cinema screens. And he is just, you can feel that scene, man. That's hard to watch. It's very, very hard to watch, but it's so, so important. That that movie is outstanding, out, absolutely yeah. outstanding. Like I say, for my, it's, it's good for my moral yeah. development. Uh, yeah. And so I watch it. It's my, hard my to wife, watch it. Mm. Yeah. My wife won't watch it with me. She's seen it before, but she won't. She's like, I can't watch this again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to watch it. I have to watch this. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's great. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to pull a bill and I'm going to lump two into one here uh, because That's they true. both deal with the same topic. And it is Batan and Back to Batan. And no, they're not sequels. Um, Batan stars, uh, oh, good God, Robert Taylor who was, at, not at the time of this movie, later became a naval aviator uh, in World War II. Um, it stars Robert Taylor as a, you know, pretty rough, tough sergeant and who is in charge of this ragtag bunch of infantry, hang, which includes Desi Arnaz, by the way, um, when they're on Bataan and they're cut off by the Japanese and they're holding this pass where the Japanese are trying to build this bridge. Um, the movie itself is made during the war. It was made in late 42 and came out in 43 so it's a product of its times keep that in mind but it's really good uh the action in it is really good the death scenes are pokey like you know tom mix kind of western death yeah exactly you know guys are Mm -hmm. spinning around three times and dying it's ridiculous but the story of the movie is actually very very good it's a really dark film as you would expect about Batan. And it's it's very good. It's very watchable. It's not terribly long. I want to say it's about 80 minutes, maybe 90 at most. But it's it's good. I watched it just 
oh hell, I don't know, seven or eight days ago, it was on TV and I watched it. And then after I watched that, I watched Back to Batan starring the Duke. And uh, Anthony Quinn is also in that movie. He plays a Filipino very well, too, I may add. And uh, mm -hmm. it starts in the, during the 1941 invasion of the Philippines, and it ends at the liberation of the Philippines in 1944. It uh, focuses on the Cabana Tuan Raid, which is another movie that we can talk about here in a minute, um, where the United States Army's Ranger, 6th Ranger Battalion, goes in there and busts up a Japanese POW camp and rescues a bunch of American POWs from the 1941-42 Filipino camp, Philippine campaign. So it's more accurate than you would think. It focuses on the Philippine guerrilla fight in from 42 to 44. Um, and, and it's got some, you know, Hollywood farcical baloney in there, but it's a good movie and it's, it's pretty accurate. It's, it's relatively accurate for what it tries to portray. So Bataan and back to Bataan are two, as you say, two signal flags up. There are two good movies, definitely worth your time. Yeah. I've seen back to Bataan a long time ago. I had not seen Bataan. I think I think I think I thought they were the same movie. No, Maybe they're, they're that's both why they're different. Yeah. yeah. So and I remember it being good, but but I can't I don't remember enough to comment. So I'm gonna have to go with your recommendation, Seth. It's a good one. one. It's a good one. Side note on Great. Robert Taylor. Uh, Robert Taylor, as I said, he became a naval aviator. He got his wings of gold. He was a Navy pilot in World War II. If you've ever seen the documentary film The Fighting Lady, which is about USS Yorktown CV-10, he's the narrator, and he's credited mm -hmm. in that movie as Lieutenant Commander Robert Taylor. So, anyway. Very cool. Good. My next one is before somebody says, you know, there were others than Americans in World War II. It wasn't just an American war. My next one's going to be Bridge Over R River Kwai. Love this movie. Alec Guinness, help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. Oh, no, that's a different movie. Um, Alec Guinness plays the stereotypical proper British Army officer who will do everything just right, just so, proper in every way, um, even when it starts, even to the extent that it starts benefiting the enemy. And then he finally comes to his senses. I mean, it is just miraculous. There is the irascible yank. Of course, you got to have one of those in every one of these movies, right? The, the irascible guy is always a yank. Although in, uh, I have to say that in, in Torpedo Run, there, there was a irascible Royal Navy officer on Len Ford's submarine, but I digress. Um, so um, so it, it's just superb in every way. The one quasi-unrealistic aspect of Bridge of the World War, by the way, true story, you can go visit that place, um, the, the, the actual bridge, uh, is the... The, the location of the actual bridge is the Japanese POW commander was a little too touchy feely, a little too um, soft. I, I don't yeah. know how to describe it. Almost go, breaks up in tears. He gets so frustrated. Um, I have a hard time believing that such a POW camp commander ever existed, Seth. Especially from the Imperial Japanese Army. Um, right. I, I think that movie, I think Bridge on the River Kwai is, I agree with you, it's a great movie. Absolutely. Visually, when they blow that bridge at the end, damn, that's cool. 
but I mean, it's just, it's a really, really good movie. It's another one that's a long sucker, but the portrayal, and there are several instances where they portray the POW experience, at least in Burma, to be fairly accurate. I mean, these guys are literally working till they die, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. ravaged by disease and thirst and hunger and everything else, but. Way about 90 pounds. Yeah. And they're not, but they're not going to show a lot of the deprivations of prisoners of war and and no we haven't done pow's yet and we will you can bet your boots on that but um it, it they don't they don't they they skip a lot you know they 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 varnish over a lot of the absolute abject horror of being a prisoner of the japanese and and i kind of get it you know it, I don't agree with it, but I kind of get it. However, it is still a good movie. And William Holden, you know, plays this typical William mm-hmm. Holden character. You know, he's like you said, he's the irascible yank, which is neither here nor there. But it it's it's yeah. it's a good film. It's worth your time for sure. You had to get Americans to watch it, so you needed an American yeah. star. Exactly. Because here's what um right. Hey, Seth, I go, go ahead. No, you're, go ahead. you're up next. No, I was gonna, I was gonna say, say a Marine movie called Run Silent, Run Deep. How could I do oh, yeah. that? How yeah. could I have done that? Yeah. Yeah. And that one, of course, I knew Edward Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I consulted with him when I was working the Captain McVeigh exoneration in the late 90s. Um, one thing I'll say about the movie is Ed wasn't real crazy about it. Ned wasn't real crazy about the movie based on his book. Um because they they add a lot of dramatic license to the movie with uh, with the romance and things like that, and little extra tension for dramatic effect that he didn't think was necessary. But I got to say, it's still a great submarine movie, and and uh, you know Burt Lancaster is the EXO, um, you know, just one of those things that again, I another movie I watch every year. Oh yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, Clark Gable, of course, you know, is is the mm-hmm. lead. He's the he's the skipper who's obsessed with sinking the, or at least he thinks, sinking the destroyer that sunk him. Um, Bungo Straits. Bungo Straits. Bungo Pete. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's 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 a bit of a stretch there, but again, it's based off of a fictional book written by a real submarine skipper. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of, and again, you know better than I do, Bill, but there's, to me, that's also one of the pretty accurate technical submarine movies of World War II in the Pacific. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the Bungo, I've been in the Bungo Straits, and it's kind of cool when I was submarining in the Pacific where I, when I go to one of these places, you know, whether it's Surigao Straits, and I have to think about Mush Martin's here somewhere to this day. He's still somewhere around where I'm submerged going through the strait um you're allowed to go through international straits in your normal mode of operations that's the law of sea expression to say which says you're allowed to go submerged if it's an international strait if it's a territorial water strait you're not hmm. little submarine trivia for you there but i you know the, these places when i was going through them in sagami wan uh and tokyo wan and all of that is fascinating to think about the things that these submarines did during World War II. I'm here again. Um, Taiwan Straits, you know, who's the galloping ghost of the China coast? Um, you know, just all of those wonderful memories that I first got exposed to from these movies. Yeah. That I then, to some extent, got to live through myself. 
Yeah, run silent, run deep is a good one. It, it's 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 another good Saturday evening popcorn chewer. It, it's it's a good movie and it's worth your time. And and again, there are some historical accuracies in that film, and in, not the least of which is the technical aspects of the actual operation of the boats themselves, which yep. I think is pretty damn cool. Um, one that that kind of ties back to Bridge on the River. It doesn't kind of tie back. It does tie back to Bridge on the River Kwai is a movie. Most people probably haven't heard of, but you definitely need to watch it. It's called The Railway Man. Um, it is a it is the story of a former British prisoner of war who is again common theme here ravaged by post traumatic stress disorder, and he is married to um, Nicole Kidman in the movie, and are he's dealing with these horrible nightmares and the man that tormented him in the prisoner of war camp is located by another fellow prisoner of war post-war and the gentleman decides that he is going to go to back to burma and kill this guy that tormented him during his entire life and in in, in or during well yeah i mean during his entire life not just his wartime experience because he carries it all the way through and um it it it's you watch the growth of the guy through the movie. So, and it is based off of a, of a, of a historical occurrence. Um, it's a good movie. It's a, I believe it's a foreign film, if I'm not mistaken, regardless of this, it's worth your time. It's a good one. And I'm going to tie that one into another one. This is another double up um, that, that is similar to that. And it's called unbroken path to redemption, not unbroken, which was meh. But Unbroken Path to Redemption. Unbroken Path to Redemption focuses on Louis Zamperini's post-war experience after having been, wait for it, a prisoner of war of the Japanese. Um, Louis Zamperini, of course, Zamperini, of course, was an Olympian. I, he he was in the 36 games, Bill? No. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, regardless of this, he, he was an American icon you know in the early part of the 1940s and he was went overseas he was in a b-24 as a b-24 was shot down uh he was taken prisoner of war by the japanese spent some time in the in the islands and then went to the home islands where he was a slave for the japanese and he was repeatedly tortured and beaten by a gentleman and i use that term extremely loosely that they called the bird uh, Zamperini was at Ofuna and Omori, which were also the prisoner war camps that one Richard O'Kane was at as well. Um, mm-hmm. It was the POW camp outside of Tokyo for special prisoners. Um, but this movie focuses on Zamperini's post-war PTSD. And this is one of those films where in the film, the actor who plays Zamperini does an amazing job. He has several meltdowns and and they will should bring you to tears it did me multiple times uh, i've only seen it once because i couldn't sit through it again um not because it wasn't good but because it was incredibly painful to watch um it is outstanding and it goes through his progression from this man who denies the fact that he has an issue to one who becomes an alcoholic who you know almost loses his family in the issue and then finds God. And of course, you know, most people know the story of Zamperini and Billy Graham, but regardless of this, it is absolutely fantastic. It is definitely a movie you should watch if you've never seen it. So this is not the Angelina Jolie Unbroken. Correct. It's an, a different one, right? So I've Correct. seen the Angelina Jolie one. I have not seen 
Unbroken Path to Redemption. So I'm going to put out. that on my list. Check yeah. it out. And I would agree with you about Unbroken that it's, uh, ah, yeah. it's, um, I think it's worth seeing once, but it wasn't a, it wasn't what it could have been or I was hoping it would be. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's these, some of these movies that some people make um, that, that just, there's no redemption in them. I mean, they just kind of, they're about the brutality and, and they leave it at that. And there has to be the denouement, to use the movie-making expression, that, that brings you to some resolution that allows it to sit well in you, that you can learn from, at, at, rather than it being merely a very disturbing experience that you endure. I don't like those kind of movies. The disturbing experience that you merely endure. And I found um, Unbroken to be in that category. Okay, I got through it. I mean, you know, just, it is. It is what it is. And so I'm hoping this second one you you mentioned is better than that. Um, It is. It is. I'm on to my list of movies I don't recommend. Do you have any more you want to recommend before we move on to that list? Yeah, and I'm going to rip through them because I know we're starting to run long on this, and I want to I want to just take a dump on a few movies here in a minute. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but a few, I, I'll I'll rip off a few that I do recommend. Um, Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo. Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo is a wartime <laughs> produced film about the Doolittle Raid. It's based off of the experiences of Captain Ted Lawson, who was pilot of Crew Number Seven. Um, I knew Dave Thatcher, who was his top turret gunner in the um, in the real raid. Um, but it's it's ridiculously accurate to Ted Lawson. Uh, it's not accurate to everybody in the raid. Obviously, everybody had different experiences in the raid, but Ted Lawson's experience is portrayed with pretty much 100% accuracy. Um, there's a sappy love story in it that is frankly just absolutely ridiculous, but it, cause it just gets so sappy that I'm like, come on. <laughs> but the actual story of Ted Lawson and his crew is, is faithfully portrayed here. Um, they use some pretty good special effects from 1943 when the, or 44, I think when the movie was made, and uh, they mention a lot of guys who were in the actual raid, not the least of which is obviously Jimmy Doolittle, uh, but like Davy Jones, you know, a personal friend of mine, you know, guys like that and uh, all kinds of stuff. Hank Miller, who was the naval officer who trained them and taught, taught them how to fly off of an aircraft carrier. All these guys right. are in, well, not the actual guys, but guys who portray them are in the movie. And it's it's really, really good. 30 seconds over Tokyo is one worth watching. Um, they don't, another they don't dead, show submarine for whose idea it was to launch those airplanes off of an aircraft carrier. Do they? they they don't, but they do mention submarines in Tokyo Bay taking weather reports. So it's, 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 right. it's they, they give props there. Another two that I'm going to lump together, they're aircraft carrier movies. Uh, one of them is called Flat Top, and then the other one is called Task Force. Uh, Flat Top's a good one. Uh, it's a late war, uh, late war, well, it's a late war movie. It's, it's theoretically... 1945. Uh, it's about F4U Corsairs flying off the USS Princeton. Um, it's starring Sterling Hayden, who was an actual World War II combat veteran himself. He's a fighter pilot. Good movie, kind of hokey, but it's cool. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid, and I had to put it on the list. Task Force he's is also, freaking. He's also that? in Doctor Strange Love. 
Yes, he is. Throwing hate. Yes, he is. <laughs> which is a great movie. Which but, is a great uh, movie. <clears throat> Our Taff- bodily fluids are—that's <laughs> in general. <laughs> Ta- Task Force is a good one. It stars Gary Cooper, and it talks about the evolution of naval aviation from literally the USS, well, before the Langley until World War II. A lot of accurate combat footage is played in the movie. Um, it's a good story of the Pacific War carrier war um it was just recently on turner classic movies you can buy the dvd it's not available anywhere else but it's definitely worth your time i know it's one of rich frank's favorites if if rich is watching mm-hmm. this uh, i know rich would agree with me he's like oh yeah that's a good one but it is it is a good one um a couple other ones i want to spit out real quick is uh the great raid which is about the cabanatuan raid in the philippines that mm-hmm. movie's almost 100 accurate there's literally Nothing that I can think of off the top of my head that is inaccurate in that film's portrayal of the six Ranger Battalion's raid on the Japanese prisoner of war camp, led by a guy named Robert Prince, who's one of the all-time badasses in the history of man. Um, one other one that I want to throw out before we get to the bad ones is Pride of the Marines, starring John Garfield about Al Schmidt, H Company 2nd Battalion 1st at the Tenaru River. Uh, if you remember our episodes about Guadalcanal, when we talk about Tenaru with Dave, uh, we talked about Al Schmidt, who took a grenade fragments in the face and it blinded him. This is his story. Um, mm. Really good movie. Uh, John Garfield got to know Al Schmidt very, very well. They became lifelong friends uh, because he wanted to figure out how Al, you know, dealt with this horrible situation. Uh, another movie you don't see very often, but if you ever see it on on TCM or something like that. Watch it. You will not be disappointed. Pride of the Marines and the Great Raid. Now, Bill, for the fun part, let's talk about the movies that suck. We'll put the good movie list in our show notes uh, for this episode. Um, I don't think we're going to include the bad movie list in the show notes, but... (laughs) Maybe maybe we will, because I don't think we want to get sued. But anyway... um, so my my the, the most horrible movie ever made about World War II, and then that's that's saying a lot. I was asked to be technical advisor for, and I said sure. Let me, well, I mean, I said well, I'd be happy to consider doing this. Just let me read the script, and they would not let me read the script. That's a sign. That's a huge warning sign. No, you have to sign on. You have to sign the NDA before I'll let you read the script. And I, well, I'm not going to sign the NDA unless you let me, unless I want to get involved in the movie. And the only way I'm going to get involved in the movie is you let me read the script, right? Um, and so that we went around like that, and finally I said, this is not going to be good. And And the movie I'm talking about is... USS Indianapolis Man of Courage. Nicholas Cage movie. Um, where it's the title USS Indianapolis is about a ship named USS Indianapolis that sinks and the captain gets court-martialed and nothing else in the movie is true. Nothing else in the movie is true. The rest of it is fiction. That's all you need to know about this movie. Do not watch this movie. It is horrible. My God, I I said okay after it came out, uh, people expect me to to give to recommend it or not. I'm swell, you know. The fact I didn't agree to to participate, I don't want to let that 
influence my decision on whether the movie's worth watching. Because if it's worth watching, I want people to know about the story. I couldn't get through 15 minutes of it. And so there you go. That's my first one. Seth, over to you. Ugh. Well, I got a, I got a list, and I'm not going to go through all of them because we're starting to run long. However, there's one that I got to say, too, actually, and I'm going to lump them into the same pile. And I do mean pile. You can imagine what pile I'm talking about here. And that is mm-hmm. Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. And I know people are going to go, <laughs> Flags of Our Fathers. Multiple reasons why, not the least of which is that two, or I'm sorry, uh, one of the guys that's portrayed in the movie who raised the flag, did not raise the flag. And it was a known thing at the time. I'm not going to get into that. Book that the, based he on. did. He did. And we'll get into that when we get to that point of the war, believe you me. But mm-hmm. there, there are so many things wrong with that movie, not the least of which is Ira Hayes definitely had some massive, massive issues. Yes, he was an alcoholic. Yes, he had post-traumatic stress. No, he was not a whimpering, sobbing, crying child like they show in the movie. He was not. I knew guys that knew Ira Hayes. He was not like that. And the way they show that man in that film is a friggin' disgrace to the legacy of Ira Hayes, who was a genuine badass. And it's despicable. And when I see things like that... from Clint Eastwood, who is also a pretty cool dude. When I see things like that, I'm like immediately, boom, shut it down. Nope, not a chance. The coolest scene in that movie is when the F4U Corsairs zip past the transports and say, and I quote, let's give the Marines a show. That's the coolest part in the whole damn movie. The rest of it, eh. Letters from Iwo Jima is worse. That is supposedly supposed to be the companion piece for this. It was the Japanese version of it. It is shit. Pardon my French. It is the way that they show the Japanese in here. And again, we've gone into this multiple times and we'll continue to do so. The IJA was not a friendly army. The way that they show them in this movie is ridiculous. They show them to be a bunch of friggin' Boy Scouts. There's only one scene in which they show an atrocity, which, by the way, happened all over Iwo Jima. It's it's atrocious. The final scene or one of the final scenes where the uh, young hero pops up out of nowhere and starts waving around his Arasaka, you know, in front of an entire platoon of Marines who have just gone through 36 days of the most horrific combat on earth. And none of them drop him like a sack of dirt is inexcusable to me because that's exactly what they would have done. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so, frankly. And it's just the way they portray the, in both movies, the way they portray the actual instances of people that, it's just, it's inexcusable. Not worth your time at all, either of them. I'm sorry if anybody likes those movies, but they suck. Sorry. Go over to you, Bill. Uh, I will say that I, I liked the let uh, the the, um, the first one better than the second, and I want to like the second because I I, I worked with um, the main actor in the Japan on the Japanese side. Mm-hmm. In letters from Iwo Jima, um, Ken Watanabe. Watanabe. I worked with him on Godzilla, King of Monsters. And so I like the guy, wanted to like the movie, because I think I saw the movie after I saw, I worked with Watanabe. And, um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, I was with you. I, I didn't like it. But um, my last two, I'm going to lump together. The first one I'm, I'm going to put here, one of them is, is famously bad. We don't have to amplify 
or elaborate on how bad it is, and that's Pearl Harbor. The other one is bad, but makes too many top 10 lists for best World War II movies ever made. And that one is the Thin thin Red Line. Oh, God, yeah. Guadalcanal, you you either got to be entertaining or you got to be historically accurate, one or the other, okay? I can take historically accurate as a little dull. I can take entertaining that's not all that historically accurate a la 2019's Midway. I cannot take historically incorrect that's dull, thin red line. I do not know how this movie makes so many of the top 10 movie lists. I think it's because they think it's literature. Thank literature. you. Yes. You think so? So I agree with you 100%. It was directed by Terrence Malick, who is a known Hollywood yeah. loon. And, you know, people think it's art. It's artsy-fartsy. And that's, I guess, what it's supposed to be. And it's about the United States Army on Guadalcanal, you know, attacking the Jifu and the seahorse. And Fair I mean, enough. You know, <laughs> they were there, but, but not in the yeah. way they were portrayed. No, and 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 the way that it's shown in the movie is asinine. Number one, and number two, of course, is based off of the book of the same name by James Jones. But you know, not that you don't want to portray the army on Guadalcanal. You do, and we hell we did a whole episode on the army on Guadalcanal with Dave Holland. Yeah, it's an important topic for sure. And there are things that need to be shown or should be shown, but they should be shown with accuracy and respect, and they don't. They focus too mm-hmm. much on Jim Caviezel running around looking at friggin' flowers and, you know, scuba diving off the side of the god – I'm starting to cuss – off, uh, you know, Lunga Beach, you know, with natives as opposed to actually talking about, you know, I don't know, what the United States Army did on Guadalcanal. It's asinine. And Woody Harrelson's yeah. in it, and he – quote, blows his butt off with a grenade. You know what? I wish he would have done a little bit more than that. Regardless of this, it is a piss poor movie. Buddies of mine mm-hmm. call the thin red line, and I am in that group, call it the thick brown turd, because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it is a terrible, terrible movie. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. yeah, so to close out this segment, for me, if you watch USS Indianapolis Men of Courage, you are disinvited <laughs> from watching the unauthorized history of the Pacific War henceforth. All right. <laughs> That's my final words on that matter, Seth. <laughs> I, I got a couple more, and I know people are gonna say, why okay. didn't we dig in? Why didn't we dig into Pearl Harbor more? Because we could spend three hours dissecting why Pearl Harbor is a steaming pile of crap. And I don't yeah. feel like doing that. I've done that nope. once before in a podcast that I had at my previous place of employment. But Suffice to say that Pearl Harbor, the only things accurate about the movie Pearl Harbor is that there is a place called Pearl Harbor, and it was at one time attacked by the Japanese. Aside from that, (laughs) nothing, and I mean nothing, is accurate about that movie. It is hands down, in my opinion, the worst, not just war movie, movie ever freaking made. It's Terrible, absolutely terrible. The only redeeming factor it has in it is Kate Beckinsale because she's hot. Other than that, it's trash. It's absolute trash. The other ones on my list of do not, excuse me, do not watch are Battle Cry, 
Fighting CBs, Flying Leathernecks, Guadalcanal Diary, and Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge because it's got Vince Vaughn in it who tries to be funny in a movie about a Medal of Honor recipient, Desmond Doss, and it just doesn't work. It looks stupid. Desmond Doss was a honest-to-God hero, and I think the movie does disjustice or it does injustice <laughs> to him, you know. Yeah, it's sad too because Desmond Doss's son is a friend of a friend of mine. And you know, and, and what a great hero that man was. Absolutely. And, and yes. the movie did not serve him well. It did not do no. him justice. No, I yeah. don't think so either. I don't think so either. So uh I mean we could go on and on and on about these, but you know, people have <laughs> People have asked us to put together a little list and then we, hell, we've already gone long, but people asked us to mm -hmm. put together a list. And this is, as you said, Bill, is not definitive by any means. And we didn't rank. No. I did not rank mine, by the way. Just I was just I didn't rattling either. them off. Yeah. So random. Order. If I, exactly. If I was asked, what is my favorite Pacific movie? That's not the Pacific, which is a miniseries. It's got to be Sands of Iwo Jima. Uh, Bill, what's your very favorite one? My goodness. Um. I, I think I'd have to say Mr. Roberts. Yeah. I could watch that movie all day long. Yeah, that is a good um, one. It is. It is. You know, it's just, just, it's just so good. Yeah. And yeah. when Jack Lemmon blows up the laundry machines, it's, I, I never stop yeah. laughing at that scene. No, I mean, but, when trying to make scotch, I still laugh every time yeah. I see that, right? Oh, yeah. And oh, a, yeah. A iodine for color. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, It'll age the daylights out of it, as they say. <laughs> and, and you know that comes from a real story. You know it does, that they're not making Absolutely. this stuff up. Like, Absolutely. It's like making torpedo juice on submarines. It's, you know, no, I, I should say, no, I, it, I should have given it 20 seconds more thought. I would have said, you know, given a little bit more thought, probably Destination Tokyo. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. up there. I got to pick a submarine movie, right? Yeah. Destination Tokyo to run one of those two. It's blasphemy if you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Bill, is yeah. there? Uh, well, before we before we sign off for this week, I just want to say again, hope you guys liked this. It was something different. Bill and I needed a break from all the shooting and mm -hmm. the killing. We needed to take a breath and, and do something fun and lighthearted, and this was it. A lot of people have asked us to do the movie thing and we hope this satisfies that request a lot of people have also most people have asked us to do a book uh episode and we're going to do that next week so we're going to do two weeks of fluff if you want to call it that and then we're going to get back to the actual story when we start tackling uh operation stalemate aptly named when we get into Peleliu. but uh, i had fun today bill i i, I assume I did you too. did as well yeah 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 it's fluff but it's important fluff because yeah god help us 95% of, of the world's population, I was going to say Americans. We have a lot of global listeners. By the way, thank you for that. Thank you for viewing all you people, you, you un-Americans, you non-Americans, <laughs> you foreigners. Um, we love our, our foreign audience. Um, but 95% of the global audience gets their history from movies. So it may be fluff, but it's important fluff. And so we, as it pertains to the Pacific War, we almost have a responsibility <laughs> to make sure you know which movies are the good ones to watch to get your history from. And as I sit here, we are at a, we are creeping up on 3.8 million views. 
And a lot of that is due to our international audience. And so thank you for that work. We're, we're, we're tiptoeing towards 30,000 subscribers. Um, thank you all for continuing to watch and listen. Again, we said this a hundred times, Seth and I thought we'd doing this for two or three months. Nobody would watch and we'd say, well, that was fun, you know, and we'd give it up. And it hasn't worked out that way, Seth. No, no, it has not. And thank you all very much for supporting us as we continue to go through the Pacific War. And Bill, I have to comment, got to compliment you on your choice of shirt. Everybody always makes some kind of comment. You're wearing plaid, which is normally my uniform. And of course, here I am sitting here in the solid green sweatshirt. It, you know, it, everybody makes a comment on something that somebody wears in here. And everybody says, oh, Seth wears too much plaid. Well, if you see my closet, you'd understand why. And you're wearing plaid today, Bill. So I missed the note. I seemingly always do. I had physical therapy this morning and I just grabbed this shirt to go to PT. And, and I'm not, because of that, I'm not wearing my Academy ring when I go up to show that I'm, we always wear our Academy ring on our left hand, on a ring finger. And I'm not wearing it because of PT this morning. <laughs> oh, well. And of course, you can compliment my wallpaper since John Parshall's not here today, if you all want to do that. There you go. Yeah. That'll work. That'll work. <laughs> all right, Bill, anything else you want to add before we sign off? We've made, we've made a note. What I used to love that show, Car Talk. Did you ever watch that? Listen to that radio show, Car Talk. Nah. Well, we've wasted another perfectly good two hours <laughs> today, Seth. And, That's true. Indeed. <laughs> two hours you'll never get back. Our audience will never get back. And today it seems appropriate to say that. Indeed. Well, I hope everybody liked our, our little venture into a different aspect of it, but still history of the Pacific War. So with that, we want to thank you very much for listening and or watching the Unauthorized History of the Pacific War podcast. Please give us a like and subscribe wherever you do watch and or listen to our show. If you have a question or comment, please send us an email at unauthorizedpacificpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, my name is Seth Parrott, and I want to thank you very, very much for listening. Bill. And I'm Bill Toady. See you again next week.